Welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of 10-Minute U.S. History Podcast. Just a heads up, this is going to be the first of a four-part series. Now, I debated on whether or not we should approach this topic because it is a fairly well-researched topic, which kind of breaks from uh, this podcast mold of trying to bring you topics that are lesser known. For the most part, however, those looking at this subject focus on the socioeconomic or political impact. Instead, this podcast will focus on the religious activities going on in the camps during internment. With that being said, let's get to part one. Historical scholarship on religious activities during Japanese-American internment has traditionally focused on one of three subjects, the role of religion in camp resistance movements, a comparison between Buddhist and Christian ministries, or religion in reference to acculturation. Recently, there has been a significant increase in focus on determining the motivations of groups who had traditionally been seen as allies to the interned Japanese Americans. Most commonly, this has been Christian organizations. Predominantly, this scholarship has been used in qualifying their charitable giving by explaining the various Christian groups' actions as an attempt to convert Buddhists. In this type of scholarship, the fundamental dynamic tension remains Christianity versus Buddhism. And by continuing to look at religion during internment in this way, scholars have keyed on several new advancements that have helped to three-dimensionalize the role of churches during internment. However, by making the central tension the interplay between Christianity and Buddhism, these scholars have failed to fully synthesize their discoveries with their predecessor's work, namely Dr. Gary Okiro, who argued that Buddhism was just as much a symbol of Japanese heritage and ethnic pride as it was a religion for Japanese Americans. A central point to arguments like Okihiro's is the high conversion rates of Japanese immigrants whenever they settle in regions with religious traditions different from their own. For example, Japanese immigrants who moved to Utah were much more likely to become Mormons than immigrants of other cultural heritage. This proclivity would suggest that the Japanese culture enforced strong correlations between religious and secular tradition, and therefore a change in secular culture demanded change in religious belief among many Japanese Americans. While this is not to discount the many Buddhists who genuinely believed in their religion, it does suggest that for many, Buddhism was more about the continuation of traditional culture and structures than about achieving spiritual enlightenment. Therefore, the real tension among Christians during internment was between the various Christian ministries and the traditional ethnic community rather than with Buddhism itself. Before internment, Japanese Americans primarily lived in segregated communities with insulated but self-sustainable economies. Japanese organizations and banks worked to counteract the widespread discriminatory practices of early 20th century America, and first-generation Japanese Americans, called Isi, enrolled their children, called Nisi, into after-school educational programs primarily focused on teaching the Japanese language. 
Children who excelled in these after-school programs often found that fluency in Japanese and English was a highly sought-after economic asset. To adequately monetize this skill, those truly fluent would often end up working for Japanese-run banks. This system led to a feedback loop within the ethnic community where Japanese Americans relied on connections to their cultural heritage for economic advancement. For example, Japanese-run banks provided loans, most commonly to Issei, and career opportunities, most commonly to Nisei. Due to discrimination prevalent in loan and job markets outside the ethnic communities, both roles embodied in Japanese banks were important in continuing the sustainability of the Japan towns, and both relied upon the continuation of ethnic and cultural ties. For decades prior to World War II, Christian ministries in America had managed to grow their numerical presence in the Japanese-American community. For the most part, however, the inroads made by these missionaries led to segregated churches that strengthened the insulated character of the ethnic community and therefore contributed to the continuation of traditional leadership structures rather than undermine them. Since Japanese Americans were able to outwardly appease elements of the greater American society by adopting Christianity, while maintaining ethnic homogeneity, the encroachment of Christianity before internment was ineffectual in shifting Japanese Americans away from ethnic loyalties towards church loyalties, even with rising numerical support. As a result, the power of the greater church community was relatively small prior to the war, and secular organizations based on ethnicity continued to be the dominant power in Japanese communities. After Pearl Harbor, these Christian ministries sensed an opportunity to enlarge this presence. One of the most influential books in Christian history is The City of God by St. Augustine in which Augustine declares to Rome that while their city and empire will continue to erode and crumble, the city of God has always and will always endure. As a father of the Catholic Church, and arguably the most influential pre-Reformation extra-biblical character in Protestantism, this message has become a cornerstone in Christian faith. The use of hardships and trials to transition a community from primarily a secular community into primarily a religious one has been used consistently throughout Christendom. This same logic was used during Japanese internment by American Christians to formulate the basis of their missionary goals. Throughout World War II, Christian ministries used Japanese-American internment to grow the church's role in the displaced communities by attempting to replace the ethnicity-based structures with a religious community, more specifically a community with the church as the epicenter, using government policies, theology, and secular roles. Next week, we'll dive into how government policies favoring Christian churches influenced their ministries.